Time to prepare the arsenal of cough drops and turn to 2 Corinthians. As I said earlier, uh, Jay had mentioned a few that are sick today. Is the, the rest, are the Arcanuses, are they sick also or are they out of town? Okay, so um, people here and there and everywhere and, and some sick. We're very grateful for our visitors we have with us. It's, it's lovely to have you. Thanks for coming to be with us to worship our Lord and God. I, um, <clears throat> I mentioned that we have a, a small crowd and I almost want to say it's fine because the preacher's voice is not great today and maybe it's a good, good day to miss. But at the same time, um, it's one of those one of those sermons. It's not a, It's one of those messages that is so simple and yet so important, and so very much to the point of Christianity that I I really regret that there aren't more people here. So I pray that if people are sick, that they actually will get online and I hope you'll do the same too if you're ever sick. Get online and listen to the message. Stay connected with. Um, what we are all learning together. I want to <clears throat> begin in Second Corinthians chapter six, verses eleven through thirteen. <clears throat> and in this, the kind of the <clears throat> one of the things that makes the, this Second Corinthians a little bit challenging is because you kind of have this. Paul talking as we, and he often does it from the sense of we as in my, myself as an apostle and the others who, who come alongside of me, maybe Timothy and Titus and all the others who have joined him and Apollos. And, you know, the we is us, the teachers, or we as apostles in a sense. Um, and it's not the, the we of it, as in he's talking to the church and it's saying you and I. He's not saying that. He's saying we from the standpoint he has to defend his ministry and those who minister with him. So keep that in mind as you read some of these passages. I'll kind of gloss over those statements and, and put it into my own terms to make it a little bit simpler. But here is him speaking, and it's Paul's an apostle speaking to the church that he gave birth to. Um, the church that he was fundamental in starting, I, the way I probably should say it. And um, they are not, it's kind of like they've distanced themselves from the one who is um, their spiritual father. Um, but anyhow, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse, starting verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. And here in this passage, Paul is hinting at this fact that uh, maybe other people have come along, false Prophets or some that are just kind of peddling the truth, as he refers to. Uh, and and um, they've caused some, they've caused a barrier to go, come up between Paul and the, the people that are uh, 
in the church that he started. It's the, there, there's this a great divide. They don't respect him as they should. They're not listening to him. They're stepping back in their relationship with him. And he's saying, man, I've always, I've spoken freely to you. I've always spoken the truth. That's what we've always done. We have opened wide our hearts. He's saying, we're all in for you guys. And now there's something, you got some other affections that are getting, getting you, and you're, you're following those affections. You're being restrained. And that word, it's interesting. Um, it, it's, it's very much a contrast. The one, one thought is being opened wide, but the restricted is like a restriction, constriction. It's you're, you're, instead of opening up to us, you are narrowing down to us. It's literally, that's what that Greek word refers to, being restrained. You're not being restrained by us. It's you. It's on you. Paul wants a great relationship with them. And they're stepping back and saying, no, no, no. And Paul's saying, come on in, please, please, please. And they're saying, no, 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 no. They're shrinking back. And they're being held back. They're being restrained. And as you imagine, if that's true of their relationship with the Apostle Paul, what do you think is happening to their relationship with Christ? What's happening to their relationship with God? Exact same thing. It's the same thing. And I want us to really look at this today. And so we're going to go back to earlier passages and see um, how I, I think uh, in chapters 2 and, and 3 and 4, it, it's really, he's creating that picture for them to say, man, your relationship with God is not what it needs to be. I suspect that whoever else is teaching them is saying, no, if you want to get closer to God, you need to do this. And Paul's saying, you know what? Your relationship with God is getting worse and worse. You need to go back to the simple gospel. So with that in mind, and, uh, and I also do want to read chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Still kind of the same, same thought. Paul is pleading with them, make room for us. Make room for us in your hearts, using the earlier reference. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul is saying, man, I'm open. my heart's open wide to you. We are going to live together. We're going to die together. And that's a picture of what church is supposed to be. And I just like that, that thought, that sense of how, how it's supposed to be. We are one together. We live together. We die together. So a side, a side thought and a side note in this sermon is this is supposed to be our relationship with one another. As we, grow, as we all grow closer to Christ, as we all submit to him and serve him and grow in him, we're also going to be growing closer to one another. We need to open wide our hearts to God. We need to open wide our hearts to one another. So let us let us consider this. And Jay, if my I don't if my voice if, if I you st- he stand up so I know you're hearing me, but you know if my if you start hearing my voice less and less, you go turn up that mic just a little bit more. But we'll be all right, I think. Let's go back to um, chapter three. We'll begin there. And this is, a, this is building up to a passage. It, when you read this passage, you probably said, 
um, because we're going through a, uh, reading through the New Testament together. And those of you who read it, when you got to chapter 3, verse 18, you probably said, Oh, I know where Eric's going to preach from. <laughs> I hope that you thought that anyhow. Um, so we're going to build up to that. That's the central verse, really. And you would have read that verse at the very end of the, the reading two weeks ago. Not, this, not last night, but a, a week ago last night is when... During that, during that Saturday, you should have read that sometime that day. <coughs> but um, I want to, I'm just going to read the blurb for 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. So if you read three, uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 15, this is the picture that you'd kind of come up with. The, and this is a reference to uh, the covenant, um, the ministry of death as it's referred to. The, the, menace, the, the covenant that came through Moses. It's not, he doesn't refer to it as the old covenant. But it does mention the new covenant in chapter 3, verse number 6. It, um, who also made, made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. So I always, you know, a lot of people don't like to call the old, I'm learning in other, a lot of people don't like to call the old covenant the old covenant. They like to call it the, the first covenant or the covenant that came through Moses or something. They don't like to say it's old and done away. You know. But no, this, if you have a new covenant, that means that the first one was the old one, right? You got something that's new, that means the first thing uh, came was old. And this passage is very much to that point. The old covenant came with glory. It was, and that glory was seen in the face of Moses um, but since he had this glory going forth from him, they had to put that veil on him, and that glory faded away. He didn't have to well wear the veil eternally. So, and I'm following along with the outline that's provided. Um, it's in the bolts, and if you need one, raise your hand, and we can get that to you. Um, but that glory that was in the old covenant, that came with that old covenant, that glory had no glory compared uh, compared to the glory of the new covenant. Now, I will read that particular verse. Um, it, verse number 10 highlights that. It says, For in, indeed, what had glory? The old covenant did have glory. It was shown in Moses. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So it's kind of like saying, yeah, it had glory. But man, now that I see this new, have this new covenant and I see Christ, <laughs> that's nothing. I don't even call that glory anymore. It did have glory, but compared to the new glory, doesn't even compare. So now we get to the, so let's talk about that new covenant. The new covenant. On the outline it says, there is no veil. The glory of the Lord is visible. And those who see him, who see the Lord, who see Jesus, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I'm going to read those verses, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. My little um, blurb there, the little summary that I have for those verses is, for the most part, exact wording from the Scripture. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there's no veil in Christ, right? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Here's the essence of the New Testament. And this is why I wish more people were here, because this is the essence, and we're going to see that how easily it is to stray from what this says. With the new covenant, it is the, it, the essence of it is that we see Jesus. Jesus came. We see him. We know him. We behold him. And when we see him, believing in him, coming to him, it's like being just drawn to the most lovely thing you've ever seen. We see the glory, the goodness of God. We behold God. We are going to be drawn to that. And as we, as we come to Jesus, we are going to be changed from glory to glory into the very image that we're looking at. We're going to become like Jesus. And if I just stop right there with that part of the verse, well, become like Jesus, that sounds pretty arrogant for you to become, think you can become like Jesus. Uh, well, but you can't do it. You're, you don't do it. You don't make yourself become like Jesus. And it specifies that this, that you are being transformed. When you see Jesus, you are going to be transformed into his image, into his likeness from glory to glory. Or as the NIV puts it, and as I, I quoted from the NIV on the summary there, with ever-increasing glory, more and more like Jesus all the time. That's the work of God. It comes from God, who is the Spirit. It says, just as from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's why we're changed. We don't change ourselves. We see Jesus, we're drawn to him, and he works in us. He changes us. That's the Spirit in us that does that. We don't get the credit. We don't get the glory. This is the essence of the gospel as he's talking about the New Testament here in this passage. And it's one that I think I, when I read this when I was third, around 30 years old, it dawned, it just, it, it just made sense like it had never made sense before, I guess. I don't, you know, it's like I'd never known this verse was there. You know, I'd always thought in my mind that when you come to Jesus, that means you start trying to do good and you go to church. You know, it's the do things. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And that means I got to stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. The, the essence of the New Testament, the glory of it, the beauty of it, it's, it's more than just doing something or not doing something. The essence of it, according to this passage is that you see Jesus. You really see him. And when you see his glory and his goodness and really actually see, then you're going to start being changed into that, that, that image yourself. You just got to keep your eyes fixed on him. So... Let's keep moving then. If that's the definition and that's the essence of the new covenant, this new promise that God has for us, that the spirit, we can look and see Jesus and that spirit will come in and start changing us into that very beautiful, glorious image. 
Now let's let's take note <clears throat> then um, I'm going to skip down into chapter 4 and we'll look at verse number 3 in a second and according to verse number 3 it says this gospel the new covenant can be veiled it can be veiled to those who are perishing and it is veiled to those who are perishing right verse 3 says and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing so, and Paul is speaking as the apostle, as a preacher. If people don't listen to us, if it's, they don't get it, they don't see it, you know, they are perishing. And he's going to say, why? So isn't this a sad, a sad thought that people could hear his gospel but not see Jesus? And that's all, that happens all the time. And my uh, contention is that there are, there are a lot of Christians claim to be Christians, but yet they really haven't seen Jesus because they're not being transformed into his likeness. Because the essence of the gospel is that you see Jesus, spirit comes in you and starts changing you into that image. And, it, and it, when I say it like that, then you realize, well, it's very much, it's, it is very closely related. Then you start doing what Jesus tells you to do and not doing what you're not supposed to do, right? So they're very closely related. So I can't say the do's and the don'ts have nothing to do with it. We are supposed to live righteously, and we are supposed to put away sinfulness. Last time I spoke from Romans, focused on that. Put away that sinfulness, and you can. You can be an overcomer. You can in Jesus Christ. Okay, so... So now let's talk about this idea of being veiled. Can the new covenant be veiled just like the old covenant had a veil? So how can the gospel be veiled? Here's the heart of the sermon. How can the gospel be veiled? And there are a few uh, bullet points there for you. And first of all, the answer. Chapter 4, verse 4. Talking about the perishing. In whose case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In that verse, he has taken your mind right back to what he had just said in chapter 3, verse 18. He was saying the essence of the New Testament, see God and you become transformed into that very image you're looking at. And here he's talking about you got your people who don't believe have their eyes blinded and don't see what they're supposed to be following after, what they're to become. Where did it come from? How did that happen? In whose case the God of this world has blinded them. The God of the world Blinds the mind of unbelievers. And I'll just pause there and I will say there are a lot of quote unquote quote believers who are actually unbelievers because they have not looked at Jesus and seen who he is and strove to be like him and keep their eyes focused on him. They're more interested in the junk of this world. And that's the God of this world has blinded them like that. Do you believe that's true? There are a lot of believers who aren't believers. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense to you? 
So here's some questions to make sure that we are not the believers who are really unbelievers. Because if this doesn't put a little bit of the fear of God in you and me, then I'm wrong about this message and it's really not that important. But it puts the fear of God in me. And it makes me wake up and think, man, I don't want to be a hypocrite up here preaching all Sunday and in my nice suit and looking however I look. I don't know how I look. (laughs) But um, just the saddest thing to see other unbelievers, excuse me, other people who claim to be believers, but I can look at them and say, man, whoa, you got it all messed up, and you are not truly a believer, and you are not being transformed in the image of Christ. You have no idea what the new covenant and the glory of that new covenant is. You don't have the spirit in you. And it's so easy for me to look at others sometimes and see that, how sad it would be. For on that final day, Jesus to look at me and say, I never knew you. You thought, you'd, you thought they never knew me? Well, I never knew you. You judge others, do you not judge yourselves? What you, You're going to be judged by the way you judge others. Folks, questions. Second bullet point there. Do you really see the glory of the Lord? Or has the God of this world blinded your mind? So part of that question is really just saying, you know, it's a possibility for me that I could claim to believe in Christ and know Christ, but have my eyes blinded, to be veiled from really seeing him and seeing Knowing him. Seeing him, knowing him. It's possible. So am I really seeing Jesus? Second bullet point. As you see Jesus, are you being transformed into his likeness? Are you becoming more and more like him all of the time? The passage that we're going to refer to later at the end of uh, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. And it's, we're made new in our spirit day by day, but it's even more than that. We're, we're, it becomes that ever-increasing glory. We're becoming more and more like Jesus a little bit every day. And you got to, this is really a hard question because... You know, usually we think back, we get here on Sunday and we think about Jesus. We do that every Sunday. It's kind of like we just jump back, we think back to this past week. Well, was I, was I living for Jesus this week or not? The guy who died for me, am I living for him or not? And so now as you jump to this question, as you, as you look at Jesus and you see him and you ask, am I becoming more and more like him? When you, when you look back at a week... You're like, you don't see a big jump in growth every single week, do you? But if you think back to this week and how you lived, 
And you think back to how you were living five years ago or ten years ago and what you thought and how you lived by faith. Are you, I, I hope you can see a big change. I hope you can say, man, I'm grown in the knowledge of the Lord. I see him more clearly now than I've ever seen him. I actually would say, yeah, I'm not perfect, but boy, I, my life is more like Jesus now than it was five years ago. I think more like Jesus wants me to think now than I did five years ago. And boy, ten years ago, who was that guy? That guy was, did some really dumb things. Some of those dumb things he did were in the name of Jesus. And they were awful. But, uh, but now, so I am growing. I am maturing. I'm growing in faith. I have taken steps of faith. I've done difficult things and challenged myself to do things I wasn't really comfortable with. We talked about a couple years ago about stretching, being a rubber band, you know, and really stretching to grow. That's what we have to do. And are you doing that for Christ? Because Jesus, he stretched himself to the limit for you. He died for you. What have you done for him? Because anything, as we look and see Jesus with our unveiled faces, really beholding the glory of the Lord, the gospel is that we're going to become like him. We're going to do the things that he did. If you see something that Jesus did, then we need to be doing it. He went to the cross for me. He gave us life for me. What have I done for my brother or sister in Christ? What have I done for my wife? What have I done for my brother? You know, what what have I done for others? What have you done? So as you see Jesus, are you being transformed into his likeness? As you look at him, are you being transformed? That's the question. That's the essence of the new covenant that we have in Jesus. He doesn't come into our lives. We don't say yes to him. We don't get baptized into him so that we can be free of sin so that someday we can go to heaven to be with him. That's part of it, isn't it? It's part of the hope we have. But no, we come to Jesus and we get baptized into him so that our sins can be washed away and we can have a new life that is in him. A life that's in him. It's completely, it's defined completely different. It's a life that is defined by looking at him and doing the things that he does, being transformed into that very image. You know, don't think you get saved so you can go to heaven. You get saved so you can be like Jesus in this life. All right. A little proactive maintenance here with a second. I probably could end right here, right? We'll we'll see what this one does, where it gets us to. Bullet point number four. says, are you allowing God to control your life? Or is the God of this world controlling you? 
No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and stuff. Who do you serve? Who, who are you a slave to? Are you a slave to God or are you a slave to mammon? The last bullet point is, is your heart opened wide to God? And this I'm hearkening back to that initial passage that we read in chapter 6 where Paul is talking about his relationship with his brethren. And now we're applying that same language to the relationship that we have with God. Is your heart opened wide to God or are you being held back? Is it being restricted? Are you pulling back by your own affections? And when you consider, you know, who are you in Christ? Who does Christ call you to be? What does he want you to be? What does he want you to do? We're supposed to be looking at him and seeing him and doing what he does and, and being Christ to other people. And so often we just live our lives from Sunday to Sunday, I guess. We don't care anything about what God wants us to become and doing everything that we can to become like Jesus. Instead, we're more Taken away with the things, the cares of this world. Well, it says right there, it says, consider the thorny soil. It's people, they, hey, these people heard the word of God and they believed and they sprung up and nothing says they ever quit believing, but it says the thorns grow up around them and choke them so they don't bear fruit. We don't bear fruit for Jesus. If we don't bear fruit for Jesus, then we're like that, the, the plant that's in the thorny, thorny soil. And the plant in the thorny soil isn't going to be just halfway saved. It's going to be all the way not saved. Because they did not bear fruit. The essence of the New Testament, the new covenant, the promise that we have in Jesus is this. Is that when we look and see Jesus, God will come into our lives. And we just keep our eyes on Jesus and God will change us into that image. And so we have to... Do everything we can to let go of the junk that keeps us from doing it and grab hold, just fix our eyes on Jesus, hold on to him tight and get going and get busy with becoming what he wants us to be. This is not a message that's supposed to be taken as, well, I just need to focus more on Jesus and sit here and think about him and let him do. It's a message that says, let go of your affections for the things of this world when the God of this world has blinded you with the junk and grab hold of Jesus and seek after him with your whole life to live with him, to die for him. Seeking after him, becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's not a task for the faint of heart. It is not easy. But with Jesus, it can be done. So I'm just going to read through these last uh, four items at the, from chapter 4 that I hearken to here. But the essence of that is just consider what is the essence of the gospel. And am I showing my life that I truly am becoming more and more like Christ because I'm letting God work in my life. 
Like Paul, we should preach Jesus Christ and serve others. Reference to chapter 4, verse 5. For God, quoting from chapter 4, verse 6, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Those two verses, are 5 and 6, are connected. And Paul was saying, I want to preach Jesus and I want to teach others about Jesus because God has shown in my heart. And you think about it, Jesus came to preach good news. And if we're going to become like Jesus, we must preach good news. If we see Jesus doing something, we should be doing it. Like Paul, we should live so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Chapter 4, verse 11. Paul was all about this. If I'm living, if I'm dying, I don't care. I just want Jesus to be manifest, to be made known. In everything he did, he wanted Jesus to be known. Are you living like that? We must, that's the, this is the essence of it here. This is what we must be doing. Like Paul... We should, quoting from chapter 4, verse 13, and then also into chapter 4, verse 15, and I think they are connected. I don't think I'm too uh, cut out too much or change things too much here, but you go back and check it. Like Paul, we should also believe, therefore we also speak, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So once again, evangelism, being the light. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the end of the passage, verses 16 through 18, these are passages, I think, that you would be wise and you would do good to memorize. And these verses have served me well as I have visited people in many situations. And it comes down to this. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary, But the things which are not seen are eternal. So fix your eyes on the eternal things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Chapter 5 continues on with the idea of temporary versus eternal. But his summary and his last pleadingness call is found in chapter 5 verse 20. He says, therefore, and this comes back to that idea of relationship. Open wide your hearts to each other, but also open wide your heart to God and look at Jesus and follow Him. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Here is what you must do with all of this information that's been given today. Be reconciled. To God. Be reconciled to God. That New Testament 
calling, the promise, the essence of it. It's glorious. And it's beautiful. But the God of the world and the things of this world can pull you away from fixing your eyes on Jesus. The things of this world and the worries, the anxieties of life, and even the riches of life, the good things, the bad things, anything, they can all pull us away and kind of pay attention to me instead of paying attention to Jesus. Become rich. Don't become like Jesus. All of these things, they all work against us. And folks, don't be one of the believers who's really an unbeliever. But fix your eyes on Jesus. Live for Him. Be transformed into His likeness. Be changed into His image from glory to glory. You do that in this life. You fix your mind like that. You keep your eyes focused on Him. Focus on the the eternal things and not the temporary junk. Then on that final day when Jesus comes back, you'll be changed in that moment. In the twinkling of an eye, you'll be changed. And I don't know what this means, but we're going to be changed into the image of Christ. I literally, I don't know what spiritually, literally, how to think of that verse. We're not going to be Jesus. We're going to be like him in some complete way. But the process has to start now. If you haven't been committed to that process, you need to repent. You need to come before the church if you feel comfortable doing that and asking for prayers. We need to be encouraging one another to become changed, transformed in the image of Jesus. That's what we must do. And if there's anybody here today who've not given your life to Christ, you, you, um, you haven't been baptized into Christ so your sins can be forgiven, wiped away, and God has a clean slate for his spirit to come into your life and begin working on you and making you into that very image, today's the day of salvation. You can do that. If anybody needs to respond today, won't you please come as we stand together and sing. Yeah.